Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. And this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today on the podcast, we have our Dean of Biblical Studies, Reverend Bobby Kilman. Brother Kilman has preached on this podcast many, many times. There's an interview getting to know Brother Kilman that was posted recently, as well as messages that you should just go back and listen to. Brushes with Revelation, How Good Kings Fail, Consider the Vineyard. These are excellent messages you should listen to, especially because we will not be with you next week, that Thursday of General Conference. We will have no podcast. Speaking of General Conference, if you're in town in Indianapolis for General Conference, We'd love to have you on campus. Sign up at our website, forward slash GC Tour. And the Alumni Association is putting on a meetup Thursday at 6 p.m. before Thursday's service at General Conference at the IBC booth. Come hang out, reminisce with old friends. And if you will share your updated contact information while you are there, we will register you for a giveaway of an IBC Custom Yeti We have great crewnecks and other great giveaways, so do stop there, 6 p.m. Thursday at General Conference. Right now, Reverend Bobby Kilman, what to do with idols. wonderful opportunities for the Lord to allow your gift uh, to be used for the body. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. I don't know how this is going to go today. We're just going to read a little bit. And then we're going to go to, keep your finger there, we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 5. And then we're just going to work to, through the text there a little bit. Apostle John, at the end of his life, and uh, you know, kind of his first epistle, he's getting older. He is, I, I mean, I wish we had time to go through all of chapter 5. Maybe you can do that in your own devotion time with the Lord. But he closes this powerful little example about, he's been talking about eternity, life in the spirit, all sorts of beautiful things. And then the last thing he says to them in this little epistle in verse 21 is this, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. I'm going to just talk a little bit today on what do you do with idols? What do you do with idols? Amen, amen. All right, I think we're in a good spot. You may be seated. Thank you so much. and so kind to stay up here and help me. What do you do with idols? I think it's fascinating that as God begins to work through you, you always have to remember he's not only working through you, he's always working on you and in you too at the same time. And I think the Apostle John in his later life is going to lay out some things that we find in the writings of the prophet Samuel. And God is going to expose us to some issues, some concerns. There's a warning of a danger in Scripture. And I, I, I forgive me today, but I'm just going to kind of talk a little bit, and we'll see where all this goes to. But when you start working through uh, this wonderful epistle, but more particularly 2 Samuel chapter 5, you'll, you need to start asking yourself questions like this. What is God protecting us from in this revelation? What does the law command around these issues that David is going to face? What does the Bible say that you should do with idols? 
And what can we see that's in the obedience of David that sets him apart from every other king of Israel? Now, I'm on, you have to put your thinking hat on with me a little bit today. I know you guys are shocked. But I, I think it's fascinating, Brother Brzezinski, that there have been people like Martin Noth and other liberals that have come along and they've looked at the revelation of God and they have said that, man, when you look at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, that seems really good. But Deuteronomy seems so prophetic of the future. It seems to Brother Smith capture the heart of what Israel is going to do. Now, I'm going to be a little more candid. It's going to show how they go from glory to ruin. It's going to show you how it's prophetic of the blessings and the cursings. And it has become so descriptive of Israel's history that liberal scholars like Martin Noth and others said, well, Deuteronomy had to be written after the fact with Samuel and Kings because nobody could predict that future that way. But how many of you know God can predict the future? And so we don't have to embrace some type of liberal theology like the Deuteronomistic historian or these editors that would slice this revelation back into the text because that anti-supernatural presupposition as if God couldn't give a man or a woman a word for the time to warn them about the future is something us apostolics don't have to embrace. I'm going to try to go slow. Hallelujah, Lord, help me. But what that means is I expect the Lord to inspire and to anoint and to empower some of you to be the voices that your generation needs to hear about the direction of the future of the church. We need a man of God and a woman of God to stand without fear and without wavering and declare. Where we're at in our spiritual age and what is the diagnosis of sin in our time. And if we can't define the spirit of the age, who's going to do it? I'm going to tell you, the charismatics are not going to do it. Other people are not going to do it. It's going to take an apostolic church that understands the times. Baby seated. So that anti-supernatural bent uh, is disclosed in the hearts of these liberals. And I get it if you don't believe in the supernatural. You're going to dismiss God's ability to give revelation into the heart of a man or a woman where God shares some of the pain, some of the anguish that he sees of all the broken stuff going around in the world. I used to preach as a young man against sin, and it wasn't, it wasn't too personal. I just That's what I'm called to do. I'm a preacher. Brother Blaze, I preach against sin, but after having lived a little while and seen what uh, sin has done in my own family with people that I love and people that I'm teaching Bible studies to, when I see the devastation of sin, all of a sudden it becomes much more personal because I see the hurt. I see the pain. I see the anguish that sin causes and every once in a while God who sees every type of abuse in the world God that sees all of the pain in the world at the same time breaks a piece of his heart off and puts it in the heart of a man of a woman of God and, and lets them speak he shares his own pain and his desire to bring healing with his people so God knows us and he knows our future and he knows what to put in you to speak to the future and so God guides and he promises, but he also, he warns. And that's what's going on in this little, little passage of scripture. So what is, what is the relevancy of uh, idolatry today, Brother Kilman, when we live in our own society, the word idolatry? 
pulls up imageries of faraway lands and faraway time and primitive people bowing down to images carved or molded from uh, certain precious metals or other substances. And we think that's what idolatry is, but that's not why God included this in Scripture. We as Americans know what idolatry looked like. And as churchgoers, and dare I even suggest more particularly apostolics, we're very familiar with idolatry. And we're not so different than these ancient societies. That's why God puts this warning in the scripture in this little epistle of John. Every culture is dominated by its own set of idols. And you would do yourself a favor that if that warning ends in scripture, you need to say, Lord, what does idolatry look like in my age? Come on, preacher. Where you at, Brother Gilbert? Wave at me. Where you at, Brother? Is Brother Gilbert here? Oh, he's in quarantine. Can't wave at me. Hallelujah. But what are you going to preach, preacher? What are you going to do when you stand on the wall as a watchman to warn? You got to know what the world is. You got to know what idolatry looks like in your time. Why? So you can call people away from the brokenness and the lies that won't bring the good things into their life. And unabashedly. Every culture is dominated by its own set of idols. Every culture has its places of worship, its priesthoods, its rituals, its sacrifice. Every culture prays homage and offers tribute and pours out its worship to their little g-gods. Every culture includes the worship, the inordinate affection, the wrong desires of these gods. Gods like materialism and Entertainment and permissiveness and power and popularity and prominence becomes the driving force. And, and that becomes the little G-God in people's life. Well, and it's really true what Jesus said when he describes his summation of what the world is. Love not the world, Brother Pity. If I don't know what the world is, how can I be sure that I'm not loving the world? And so Jesus lays it out very clearly that all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. And it really is money, sex, and power and all the issues in those categories. We may never offer sacrifices to Baal or participate in ritual prostitution in the high places or burn our children to Molech, the little G-God of the Canaanites. But we just worship power instead and call it success. We embrace lust and call it freedom. We sacrifice our children and call it a mother's right to choose. We have more money than ever before, but we also have more social chaos than ever before. We have sexual liberation, but more psychological and more moral bondage than ever before in America. We have women's rights, but the most dangerous place a baby can be in America is in his mother's womb. I understand that, that we know very clearly that we have idols today in our society. As a matter of fact, we even have shows called American Idol. And it still shows what we worship in our, uh, in our own culture. We see the lust for position and the lust for platform. Can I just go ahead and anticipate my ending and say, if you're lusting after a platform, the first when you can get that little idol out of your life, God can trust you with position. But until you get the lust of, you, of that position out of you, Brother Edgar, you can't even be trust to preach somewhere. Why? Because the weight of that will crush you because your character is not strong enough yet to handle it that's why it's in the first two commandments Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 and 4 thou shalt have no other gods before me thou shalt not make any graven images and what we do is we think okay that's all those crazy people right brother uh, 
uh, Turner, that you, you were over there mission in, uh, working in missions at Korea. That's who it is. They're bowing down with idols. Why is this the two fundamental commandments? And why is it captured so beautifully in the King James's thou? Because this is a singular issue. You can't decide to just roll along with IBC. You got to choose for yourself whether or not you're going to be an idol worshiper and get things in your life that God says, I can't bless you with that in your life. Now, I'm, I'm, I tried to go slow, but I just feel the preach on me. So uh, I, you guys know I love you, but I'm going to just bear my heart today. Ezekiel 14, verse 3, the prophet Ezekiel says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. It's not physical idolatry that's the issue. It's the heart issue. Well, what is an idol then, Brother Kilman? Well, I'll tell you what the old timers taught, and it's powerfully biblical. Anything more important to you than God is an idol. Anything I prefer give control to besides God as a source of wisdom and direction in my life can become an idol. Anything that grabs my heart's attention or my mind's affection more than God is an idol. Anything you want to give you, what only God should give you is an idol. What do you mean, Brother Kilman? Meaning in your life, fulfillment, your sense of worth, value, and happiness. That all has to flow from God. Anything that competes with that becomes an idol. And that's why the book of First and Second Samuel are written. It's explanatory. God is moving on the prophet Samuel to write of how they backslid. How did Israel get into this condition that we call exile? And the point is, is God loves them too much to let them go to hell easy. So he puts them in the pressure cooker. Why? Because it's good to know what backsliding looks like. I promise I'm going to get to someplace good. But there is a revelation in this book that shows me what backsliding looks like. Why? Because if I'm on step one, I don't have to get to the end of that road before I turn around. I can recognize my own heart, my own desires, my own passion, my own mind. And I can say, Lord, I'm on the same road that Israel was. Turn me around and get me back into the right. I don't want to be broken on the ash heaps of ministry. I want to serve you. Now, now i got to hurry. Here's the problem with not having so much time to distill a sermon. Brother Brzezinski, you just want to preach for two hours. Take, relax, i got class the next period. I can't do it. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. But when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David. And David heard of it and went down to the hold, the secure place. See, because here's what's happened. They, the Philistines have already had a victory over one king of Israel. And they've already had, they've already said, I, I know a guy that says he's a king. I know we have a guy who says he's an authority, Brother Brzezinski. And he's supposed to be the king of Israel, you know, uh, the, the people of the one true God. And we can get victory over him. So this is just going to be the same old, same old. We're going to walk in and we're going to defeat him just like we did Saul. Unfortunately for the Philistines, they did not know that uh, all kings were not backsliders. Okay, I'm gonna go, we're going to get there. See, this is what I want you to get deep down in your heart. Other people may sell their giftings. They may walk out of Indiana Bible College and walk out of this place and brag that they are far from IBC or far from what they were, were taught in this college. And there have been people that I'm praying for that have done that. 
But you ready? I want to serve hell a little bit of notice today that not all young people are going to backslide. There's still some apostolic ministers that are being brought into the kingdom for such a time as this, and we're going to do the work of the Lord. And when the enemy comes against you with the same temptations that made others fall, what you're going to say is, I'm not backslidden in my heart. I got the value system of God, and I'm going to serve him and be faithful. I'm convinced it's why I'm here giving away my life. That there's young people that will not flag, that will not falter, that will not fail. They will not be silent. They will not be passive. They will not be intimidated. They will not be afraid. Now, I know the old timers used to say it. Sometimes silence is golden. Other times it's just plain yellow. And as John Peterson, the Puritan writer, says, there's not a sermon which is heard, but it sets us nearer heaven or hell. And I get it. You go ahead and preach, preacher. It doesn't matter who else is backsliding. You go ahead and stay apostolic and preach. You hear me, worship leader? Don't sell your gift out for some other platform. You stay right there in the apostolic church and watch God use you. Almost every time that Luke writes by the Spirit of God and about the growth patterns of Acts, I wish we had time to deal with these, but in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says the Word of God increased. Acts 12, 24, but the word of the Lord grew and multiplied it. Acts 19, 20, so mightily grew the word of God. And again, that shows the authority of the power of preaching the word and preaching the truth. And there are some Davids here after God's heart, after God's desire, after God's wants. We're not all bent like Saul in self-justification and self-promotion and self-aggrandizement. you got to choose the road that you're going to walk down. So David is faced with the same type of enemy. Now hear me, you're going to have the same type of enemies come at you and offer you money and offer you position and offer you prominence and offer you popularity and you got to decide that those idols will never be brought into my life. The Bible says that the Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephraim. And David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into my hand? Why well, pray, David? The will of God seems obvious because we can't deal, deal with spiritual battles with carnal flesh. That's why you can't preach in your flesh. You can't sing in your flesh. You can't teach in your flesh. You can't do anything in your flesh. It has to be submitted to the direction and the spirit of God. It has to be anointing of God. How do I get that, Brother Kilman? Make sure you got an alignment with truth and the anointing of God will follow. Now, I know I'm preaching a little strong, but I want to preach a warning into you. So, so David goes up and he says, the Lord said unto David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. The Bible says David came to Belperazim and he smote them there and said, the Lord hath broken forth on my enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore, he called the name of the place Belperazim, which means God broke forth on his enemy like a flash flood and destroyed everything. He gave praise to God. When you get success, and you will if you do God's work, make sure you give all the glory to God. The Bible says, and they left there their images. And David and his men, what? Burned them. So after this victory there is a, from, da- from God for David, there is a massive temptation. And God knew this about David. and He knew this about his people. 
and he knows it about us. So God says, don't fail the test of idolatry, David. You ready? Can I be more plain? Don't fail after you get some victories. After you get a few victories, that's when you really got to start watching the idolatry of the heart. And David faced this battle, and it's reiterated in Scripture in 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 12. And, and when they had left their gods there, David didn't pick them up. He didn't take them home with him. He didn't carry them away. He didn't confiscate them. They were burned with fire. Why, Brother Justin, why? Say that because the commonplace action of the ancient Near East was if you got this big God of gold, why don't you take it home and put it up? If you got this big God of silver, why don't you? Listen, if that God was powerful and you just defeated their people, what does that say about their God? They're running away, Sister Harley, in defeat. And the problem is you're going to carry away the gods that can't even get out of the battle. We'll get there. So what does that mean? I'm going to be a little pointed here. Turn to your neighbor and say, Kilman. K-I-L-L-M-O-N for all those watching. Kilman. Don't put Brother Carson on the hook. Don't put IBC on the hook. This is me. David and his men burned them. David came to Belprazor. David smote them there. And the Lord said, uh, the Lord hath broken forth on them. He's gave me this great victory. So what do I need to do? I need to burn these idols. When the NKJV wrongly translated, David and his men carried them away. He didn't carry them away. The Hebrew's clear. When the NLT says David and his men confiscated them. No, they didn't confiscate them. What you going to do? Take some booze home with you after the, after the alcoholic repents? What you going to do? One of a little apostolic preacher think that, okay, a little drinking on the sides, okay now. What you going to do? Take the things that have brought other people in bondage and start bringing them back into the house of God? NIV says David and his men carried them off. They don't carry them off. David and his men, uh, the NET says, pick them up. The ESV says, and David and his men carried them away. The Amplified said, so David and his men took them away. At least it lists the caveat there, Brother Brzezinski, to be burned. The Hebrew is clear. When David defeated the enemy, he did not take the diet. Here's the biblical answer for what you do with idols. It's Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verses 1 through 6, the Bible says, God speaking to his people, when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whether thou goest in to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hebites, and the Jebusites. Now highlight this in your mind, if not in your Bible. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. That's called clarity in the scripture. When God says, your enemy's stronger than you. You hear this preacher today. The world is stronger than your flesh. The world is always going to be stronger than your flesh. That's why you can't afford to lean on the flesh or pick up the ideas of the flesh or the methods of the flesh. We got to stay apostolic and say, if we're going to succeed in this hour, it's because we follow the truth. All right, so if the world had what was meant for you, God would have put it in the church. The world could be bring victory. Why did God create the church? And so God says, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee. They're going to deliver them. See, that's the promise of your ministry right now. You're going to have, Brother Sam, you're going to have victories. 
You're going to have, you're going to have conquering moments where the Lord uh, anoints you on an MSA. Where the Lord, uh, maybe you go out with a group and sing and people get the Holy Ghost. And then there comes the temptation. He says, uh, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them. You'll show them mercy under them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Don't even link your ministry with it. Hmm. I know, Brother Kilmer. Well, I, I, we're going to really reach people. I've never seen it happen. I'm 48. You sell your gifting to minister with them, you'll marry them. Hmm. I'll just leave it alone. K-I-L-L-M-O-N. I get it. So why shouldn't we do all of this? Because you shall not give your son nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Don't intermarry with them. For, why? For, for, that's a reason word in Scripture. They will turn away thy son from following me that they may serve other gods. See, that's why some of you uh, that need to know that the Lord's just going to tap you on the shoulder and say, you don't need to date them. That's why you know it in your own youth group. One of the biggest issues with some people is they think, I'm never going to get married unless I just, I, I need to make some accommodations because he isn't exactly right or she isn't exactly right, but who else am I going to marry? And then good luck being married to somebody who's an idol worshiper. Good luck raising your kids under a system of values that will lead them into bondage instead of the victory and the power and the anointing that God intended. We don't have to settle for less. I'm just going to walk with the Lord and let him bring blessing after blessing after blessing into my life. Moses writes, by the Spirit of God, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut their groves and burn their graven images with fire. Why? For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto him above all the people that are upon the face of the earth because the result of idol worship and idolatry is sinful brokenness and God needs somebody to stand for the otherness that's holy and pure and righteous and good and so he says in verse 25 and 26 and this is what David got right the graven images of their God shall ye burn with fire now you hear this preacher today the only reason David was a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? A God after man, a man after God's own heart, God's desires, God's will, Brother Zachary. Uh, that, that's what it means. The Hebrew notion of heart means will. It means your passions. It means your desires. You ready? Your will has got to be towards God. How do I make that happen? It's very simple. You gotta love what God loves and you gotta hate what God hates and your desires gotta match his desire. And David was a man after God's own heart because he never tolerated idolatry once. Well, I heard he was quick to repent, Brother Kilman. Well, yeah, I already got a little bit. Neither shalt thou take an abomination into thy house. What David got right. He's a, now catch this. He's got an incredible future ahead of him. He's got an he's incredible kingship ahead of him. He's, he's going to leave a legacy that's only going to be eclipsed by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And what God has to do is to show him, you've got spiritual vision, David. And some of you, the Lord has given spiritual vision. You can't even probably articulate what you have felt in prayer, what the Lord has pressed on you in terms of your call. And with that spiritual vision, you're ready. You're going to have growth and you're going to have victories and you're going to have success. But the greater your notoriety, all of a sudden there's temptation that comes. And when you have success, you have authority. But you ready? Then your, your greater notoriety can turn into the desire for greater celebrity. And then that virtual success online, because so many people are following me. Look how popular I am. Look at how many thousands I can get in my church. And what's missing is actual spiritual authority, which is character. The test of idolatry is now. It's not tomorrow. It's not 10 years from now. It's not five years from now. It's deciding right now. And you've heard it, and I'm going to preach it one more time to you. It's not my charisma. It's not my talent. I don't care how many parts you know, singer. I don't care how well you can articulate and carry cadence in a sermon, preacher. It's not in your talent. You need talent, but it's not in your talent. It's not in your giftings that God has placed on your life. It's not even in your successes. The question is, what is your character? And you'll be tempted to carry off the idols of your conquered enemies. You will, if you hear this preacher today. Here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to speak to some young minister now that's tempted with ideas of success that doesn't match the heart of God because I have people that I have sat in this school with and prayed in this school with and seen the anointing power of God on their life and they walked away because they never got the character issue down. They never got the idolatry issue settled and they wanted success more than they wanted God. They wanted popularity more than they wanted prayer room. They wanted platform before they had the position to hold that weight given from God. I listen to people that I'm trying to be good, Brother Turner. Campus pastor's not here. You're the elder. Put on the coattail if I get too strong. I, I, I watch people that I mentors in my life. I'm going to be a little candid here. I, and if you're listening, I love you. I'm praying for you. I hope you come back to the truth. But they would go to Catalyst Conference before going to General Conference. I'm glad. You, how many of you know what Catalyst Conference is? Anybody know? See, no hands. It's not even relevant anymore. Rise and fall of Mars Hill. That's where all that nonsense got started. How many of you listened to that podcast? So, how many of you are? Thank God. A lot of people said, I, I remember one of my mentors coming back from that non-apostolic conference and he started saying, well, Bobby, if we could just, if we could just somehow have their, their organization and their approaches and, and their, all of these other things, and, and then we could couple that with the power of apostolic truth. Man, how powerful we could be. And then, see, here's the problem. He went to a battle. He got a victory, but then he started carrying things back. Now that saying mentor is not, not, not a mentor anymore. He's sitting on a stool in his church and with his blue jeans and his untucked church, and I don't mean this to be mean-spirited. But he's just sitting and saying, well, we're going we're gonna to look different, and we're going to do things a little different, but we believe the same. Things that are different are different. But he has walked away from holiness, and it won't be long before he goes the road of everyone else that's done that. See, it's where you reach the masses, maybe. We're going to reach the masses through platforms and, uh, that other people have invented. 
I'm going to go there and I'm going to sing. I'm going to go there and I'm going to preach. I'm going to go there and I'm going to teach. And we're going to reach the masses. No, you're not. If they don't let you come as an apostolic minister, you can't go. Go ahead and take that little idol called the desire for prominence and platform and popularity and kill it now, David. Because if you can, there's all sorts of other victories waiting in your future if you'll get this idolatry issue right. I, I got to hasten to a close. Apostolic idolatry. It's where we promote individuals instead of Christ. The temptation to use other people's methods, their practices, and their platforms. And entire generations of apostolic people have been tempted with the notion of quick success. Let me, let me give you, go ahead and write that one down. Quick success. And driven by lust for success, they compromise the truth. And they become idolatrous because they picked up the idols of the people they're lusting after. Those wrong definitions of success. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 10. I'm working towards a close. And King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Telgath Pilzer, king of Assyria. The Bible says he, he saw an altar that was at Damascus. Man, was he impressed. He went to this place, and King Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it according to all the workmanship thereof because you can find a preacher who will sell out. And he brought also the brazen altar, skip down a few verses, which was before the Lord from the forefront of the house, from between the altar and the house of the Lord and put it on the north side of the altar. What did he do? This terrible king, Ahaz, is there with Tilgath Pilzer, the king of Assyria, and he, he sees their form of worship. And he gets so enamored with their form of worship, he says, Brother Sam, who wants that old tired-looking brazen altar of repentance and death and consecration? Move that over on the north side and put this altar up. Because instead of seeing the idolatry of Assyria and saying, the only reason we're not having victory is because we have fallen into idolatry. Instead, he's enamored with idolatry and brings back the plans to put it up in the worship of God. Second Chronicles chapter 28, verse 23 says, For he sacrificed them to the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, because the Lord, uh, the, the, the gods of the kings of Assyria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. I don't have victory. Now, he didn't tie his victory, uh, Brother Turner, to his own backslidden condition and his lack of obedience that was laid out in Deuteronomy. If you will, God says, I will. If you won't, I won't. And instead of repenting, falling on his face, and asking the Lord to deliver him, what does he do? He brings that, that home. But look at what the scripture says. But they were the ruin of him. Of all Israel. So, what are you saying? I'm reading a great little book. Come see me if you like books. I was just urged, let's, like all of you, get on thrift books right now. But there's a warning here a person has as many masters as they have vices, a person has as many lords as he has lust. A person has as many rulers as he has ungodly desires. A person has as many idols as he has iniquities. 
the elevation of success and the elevation of status becomes a temptation for us to think, well, I'm beyond all of that now, and I'm smarter than the past. And You can see it, and many of you are reading it. Let me just make a little quote from Rick McKinney, who helped start the church in Portland, Oregon, Imago Day. That church went from went to running about a a, a thousand to fifteen hundred in just months, and and people were like, "Man, how did you do that? It's taken us years to build our mega churches to that much, that that amount." And it says it, it, that usually takes years. And here's what they had: they had gifted young leaders, and this is what McKinney says, a critique of their own building. He says, "We create a speaking event or a worship event, and we call it church." idolatry. I don't care if you can pack them into the church. I don't care if your singing and your preaching can draw thousands quickly. That doesn't make it a church. That's an idol. He said, the problem is we didn't have the character needed for that weight. And then all of a sudden you start believing your own press reports. Well, look how many likes I'm getting. It doesn't matter what uh, my leadership says. It doesn't matter what my pastor says. It doesn't matter what these old timers say. It doesn't matter what word of God says eventually. And what seems small now will eventually rule every act of your ministry later because you didn't get rid of that little idol. And I'm closing. I know I had a strong message today. I'm just kind of preaching from my heart. If you'll come to the music and begin to play, it'll put pressure on me. If that danger is real, how many of you believe the Bible is the word of God? And that is laid out in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we as ministers can know I can fall into that same trap. As a matter of fact, Amaziah, we know what you're supposed to do, Brother Pretty. Amaziah took the idols home with him. David didn't do that. He was the right kind of king. So Scripture gives us three, at least three, I'll just break it down really simply, to three guiding truths about locating idolatry in our life. Scripture says this about discernment about idolatry. It's people love idols. So you should look at your affections and your desires. Secondly, that people trust in idols. That means what is my confidence on or what do I rely on? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it people and platforms? Is it money and popularity? Do I worry more about what they think than what heaven thinks? And thirdly, it says they serve idols. They give their time and attention and money. Old timers used to say, give me your calendar and your checkbook and I'll tell you what you worship. Because what you give your time and resources to mostly shows your heart. Stand with me today. See, it gets simple. When I can't stand objective criticism about my affections. When I refuse any alternative to the thing I want to cling to. When I go to extreme points to defend something in an unhealthy way. It's probably an idol. Idol, idol. So you give yourself unto them and then you become a slave. And I'm going to say it again. A man has as many masters as he has vices. So be careful of those desires. Be warned.
worship sexual sin and materialism and pride and we put it in codified little Christian language. So Brother Kilman, how do I handle idolatry? It's, it's, it's kind of hard because idols are sneaky. They hide in our heart. The human heart is, one man said, a factory of idol making from birth. So how do I deal with that? Number one, prayer. There's a way to know if you have an idol. Ask God to show you. Is there any desire in my life? Any relationship in my life? Even a good thing can become an idol if I place it before God. Number two, you need preaching. Because preaching confronts the heart, the will, the desires for idols in our life. And I don't know about you, but I want to have that open hand. I don't want God to have to rip something out of my clinging fingers. I want to say, Lord, if it's an idol, it's going to mess me up. I want to. I know you got a whole lot in front of me. There's a whole lot of souls waiting in front of me, Lord. And i got to have a ministry that's not marked by idolatry. I don't want to be a Saul. I want to be a David. I don't want to just have some victories and then fail. Why preaching and why prayer? Because that act of acknowledging that God is supreme is the first step. Whatever you say, God, is the first step. And then you can ask, God, do you have any rivals in my heart? Bow your heads with me. I, I, I felt in prayer last night to this morning to ask this question. It's going to be a pointed question. I don't, I think it could apply principally to everyone in the room, but I'm reaching for somebody right now in particular. What place or position do you lust for that is neither God's plan or his provision for your life? Whose praise matters as much to me as hearing him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to do a little idol searching in your heart. God, if there's something good, if there's a good platform, you don't want me on yet. And I feel a check on that, God. Help me not to get out of my timing because my character isn't strong enough for that yet, God. And you're protecting me so that I can step into authority at another point and be strong enough because I've ripped out that desire for prominence and I could be trusted with precision. I'm done today. I'm going to ask you to come. If you know, if you know there's something, there's a relationship, there's a desire in my heart that I want more than I want my relationship with Jesus. If there's anything that's a close second, if I love being right more than I love souls, that's an idol. If I can't minister to God's weak people because I'm so, so consumed with what's being right, what good is it being you right, preacher, if you can't minister to God's people? That's pride. You just need to say, God, help me to love you and love your people. I don't want any false notions of ministry in my life. I want to make sure my heart is pure. Come on, that's it. All over this house. This should be a very, very, very private moment between you and Jesus. Help me to see, Lord. 
Help me to see, Lord. See, some of you have had victories. I'm, I'm stopping. Some of you have had victories, but now's the temptation to start believing because I'm gifted. I have felt the touch of the Lord on me. Everything's okay. You start believing your press reports and God's saying, yes, you're gifted. I put that on you. Yes, I've touched you with my anointing and power. And you've seen some victories. Now tear down that pride. Let me direct your life. Let me make you profitable. We had to say, Lord, anything not like you, Lord Jesus, anything not like you, take it out of my heart. I don't ever want to remove that brazen altar of repentance. And when I have success in ministry, what saved me is going to keep me when I make sure that I'm never replacing that first, God. And if I've got any wrong ideas, thank you, Lord, for correcting me and helping me pass the test.